Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Hey, everybody. Welcome to today's episode of the Variety and iHeart podcast, The Big Ticket. I'm your host, Mark Malkin. Coming up on today's show, John Leguizamo, the actor and writer, is talking about his directorial debut, the new indie drama Critical Thinking, about a Miami teacher who coaches an inner city high school chess team to the national championship. But that's not all we talked about. Leguizamo opens up about his longtime quest for better Latinx representation in Hollywood, the Latinx superhero comic book he has coming out in the fall, and why he would not star in his drag queen comedy, Chu Wong Fu, Thanks for Everything, Julie Newmar, if it was made today. So stick around. I'll be right back after this short break with John Leguizamo. Welcome back to The Big Ticket. Here's John Leguizamo. How are you doing in quarantine? You know, thriving and surviving, you know. Uh, it's been great hanging out with my kids, even though they've been incredibly uh, isolated and lonely and it's not natural. But I've been creative, man. I've been, because I'm not distracted by any projects, I'm writing like a maniac. That's what I'm talking to a lot of people, the, the creativity that's happening. It's going to be so fascinating to see once we're through this. Right. When it's unleashed. All at the same time, <laughs> under under Black Lives Matter, under this madness of this presidency, under Corona and and this topsy turvy Alice in Wonderland BS that we're living, it's so. I mean, it just makes you your mind like you have to work to be creative to get it all in in place. Otherwise, you lose your mind. Yeah, it's like, where do you even begin? Where do you start? Do you start with Black Lives Matter? Do you start with Corona? Do you start with the guy who's in the White House? It's just, it's unreal. Yeah, I mean, great things. I mean, Black Lives Matter to me is one of the great outcomes of this presidency and and Corona because we all had the time to focus and we all had the time to protest, you know? So that was beautiful because it finally, it finally added up to something and people requesting action. and you know, defunding the police, which doesn't mean to fund the police. It just means that they should be accountable and that some of that money should go to, to, to uh, underserved community, brown and black communities. Are you hopeful for the future? Or are you hopeful about the election? I'm a Latin man, so I'm always hopeful because <laughs> <laughs> the world's always been against me. So I got used to like fabricating my own hope. <laughs> 
You know what? That's it's real. My husband is Mexican and he's very much the same way. He's like, listen, I've survived a lot worse than that. <laughs> fine. It's so true. It's like, I mean, you grow up being told the worst things in the world about yourself as a child, as a man, as a community. And, and you go, but the people I know aren't like that. So somewhere there's something wrong. So I need to figure out how I'm going to survive all this microaggressions and macroaggressions. Right. They also can be very, you know, in your face, literally. And, uh, and you got to survive. So that, yeah, yeah. So I stay hopeful no matter what. And I tell my friends who start losing hope, I go, dude, you got to build hope because hope is the only thing that sustains us. And you got to mm-hmm. manufacture it, fabricate it, whatever you got to do, fake it till you make it. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. What do we have left? What, 69 days, something like that? 70 days? Oh, I heard your queens. 69 days. <laughs> <laughs> 69. <laughs> that's great. I love it. Yeah, that's because I'm talking. It's because I'm talking to you. That's why. Yeah. Oh, that's hey, hey, no. <laughs> that's I have a few accent. You can't be detected. I can, you can't <laughs> tell if I'm from North, West, South London. <laughs> <laughs> So directorial debut, I, I have to tell you, when your reps came to me, I was like, that's John's first movie that he directed? I directed a, a movie for HBO. A TV, yes, you did do a TV a movie. Commercials, trying to figure out this, how to be a director and, and, and can I tell a visual story? I know I can tell a verbal story and a, and a mm. written story. It's just, can I tell a visual story? And why was it, why was it this story? Why critical thinking? It spoke to me. I am that kid. I am that ghetto nerd. These kids that don't have a place that they fit in. They don't fit in. And, you know, these kids, this is a true story uh, of five kids, mostly Latinx and black, who grew up in Overtown. Uh, back then it was called Liberty City. And it was like, it's the roughest neighborhood in, in Miami. And they became United States chess champions. And there were these kids who, who, didn't want to go the wrong route, didn't really want to play football, but there was no space for them, you know? And Mm. then this teacher, Mario Martinez, created this after-school elective for chess, and and these kids found themselves. And I was that ghetto nerd kid that, you know, I didn't really fit in. I loved to read, and, you know, that's that's not what was up in the the hood. And uh, there were other kids like me, but I couldn't really find them. And then when I found them, they weren't cool enough for me. (laughs) <laughs> so <laughs> nice. therein lies the, the trick but yeah did, this movie just summoned me called me how did how how did you did you hear about the story first and go after it did someone come to you how did it all sort of come about well you know it it, it came to me yeah you know it was lucky you know they they offered it to me as the lead to to, to be in mm-hmm. it and uh and then they asked me to direct it and i was like wow you know i kind of wanted to direct it i feel like <laughs> this one i could do Plus, also, I'm not the, the it's, it's more of a team. It's a supporting cast that's, that's really the lead. I'm not really the lead. So I have a little more time right. off camera to, to help, you know, set up scenes and stuff like that. How, how great is it to work with young people to see the, you know, to just sort of mentor them along? And I'm sure some of them reminded yourself of you when you were yeah, starting yeah. out. How great was that? It, it was beautiful, man. You know, I have two kids. So, you know. Once you have kids, you just feel like every kid's your, your own. And uh, it was easy, you know, to, to love these kids. They were all giving 100%. I demanded a lot, and they delivered. And, and that made me love them even more. It, I mean, it was hard to pick them, too, because the Latinx talent out there is so massive. Mm-hmm. And everybody's so great. It was hard to pick. So I just picked the guys that 
fit the characters the best. Mm-hmm. So that way it'd be easier for all of us because it's a, it, it was a demanding schedule and an independent film about chess. And I wanted the chess to be a sport. So I wanted to open up these scenes and make them big. So, you know, we had very little time to like, you know, rehearse on camera or rehearse right before a take. We need, I needed to do that weeks before. Well, what's great about it is I don't know how to play chess, but you directed it in such a way you didn't need to. You, you felt yeah. the tension, like it just, like I couldn't, you know, even my husband was like, what are they doing with the clock things? I'm like, I think they can't run out of time or something, but it didn't, <laughs> but it didn't matter. It was, it was you, you know what? You know, you know why? Because uh, my, my, my theory was, if I can walk you through what a teacher does, like in the class, the exact teachings, I mean, it can be long and boring, but, but, the, but the effect is you really think as a viewer that you know what's going on with the moves. You start to believe that you understand. <laughs> yes. And then when you see that last sequence with the 60 actual moves that Marcel Martinez played against um, Acopian, you think you, you're following it really clearly, but, <laughs> but it, it's, it's sort of a trick that happens. Yeah, it's pretty, it, you did it really, really well because you definitely, we sat there and we're like, is he going to, what, wait, what's happening? You know, and just, it was really, <laughs> thank was you, thank really you. great. Um, what's amazing too is, you know, I, I was thinking about the movie. I'm like, oh, it's so perfect for this, these times, you know, Latinx representation, blah, blah. And I'm like, wait a minute, this has been going on forever. It's not, the movie wasn't made for now. It, we might, the world may be waking up to, the Latinx experience more, but it's, this is a story that, like you said, you were that kid, you were that nerd. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like, we're the oldest ethnic group in America after native Americans. We didn't just mm-hmm. get here, you know, fought in the American <laughs> revolution, 10,000 Latino patriots. We had a Latin general in, in, in the American revolution war, Galvez, who organized an army of 3000 Puerto Ricans, Cubans, Mexican-Americans freed slaves and Native Americans, and they kicked the British out of the South so, so that they couldn't uh, surround the patriots in the North. And I'm not talking about the New England patriots. I'm talking about the old school <laughs> patriots. And 20,000 was fought in the Civil War. 120,000 fought in World War I with incredible amounts of heroes. But you never see this. You never see no. it in movies, in, in our textbooks, in our literature. We're not, we're not taught our own writers. We're not taught our own history so you always feel like a outside an outsider even in your own country that's it's pretty amazing do you feel that sort of in in a way you're kind of ahead of the times because you've been talking about latinx representation for you know since the day one of your career yeah, do you feel like the much. world do you feel like the world is sort of catching up in a way yeah, a little bit, you know, a little bit. I mean, they're trying to make amends. I mean, we're 25% of the box office, U.S. box office. Yep. We're the largest ethnic group in America, but with less than 4% of the faces in front of the camera and less than 3% of the crew behind the camera and less than 1% of the stories being told. And mm. forget about executives. It's like point zero something. Uh, and that's not okay. I mean, when, when you're 50% of the population of Los Angeles, that's cultural apartheid. When you're equal to whites in New York and you're not on the staffs of, of the New York Times, the New York Post, you, I mean, we're equal to whites in population in New York City. Why aren't our stories equal 
even though the obituary, you look at it, maybe that's good because we're not dying, but not, none <laughs> of my, the people that I grew up with that are my heroes are there ever. Mm. And, that's, and that's the weird thing. It's like we're, we're, we're invisible. But you've been, to, you, what you're saying now is you've been talking about this for years. And now f- f- there's this conversation that's going on, whether it's Black Lives Matter, um, yeah. you know, starting with the immigration, I don't want to even call it a debate. Um, it, I just, I keep thinking, I really was thinking about you. I'm like, you've been like screaming this, whether it's in your art or how you're doing it now. And there has to be some sort of, I don't know, feeling of like, hey, I've been saying this. Where you been? Oh, yeah. No, I've been saying it forever. And you can't stop yelling and you can't stop. You got to keep going and being annoying about it. And and I am, you know, uh, I I can't help it. It's in my blood. It's it's what I see and, and experience all, all the time. And I can't stop being a Latin person. I mean, that's who I am. And and when I see myself not represented, it, it bothers me and it hurts me, you know. Uh, and so I'll keep shouting and hopefully things will change. I mean, we definitely see improvements. I mean, 4% is better than 0%, you know, yeah. even though it's been a decade to, you know, of 4%. What, what kept you, I guess, motivated to just keep saying it, keep being outspoken, because I, I imagine there are other people who wanted to be, and they were just like, you know what? It's not my fight. Yeah, but, you know, I, I find little little successes, and they, and they bolster me. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. it's like water trickling down into a river. It just finds its path, and every little success keeps me going towards the, the, the bigger uh, Mississippi and, uh, instead of the tributaries. And, and that's what I've been doing. You know, I, I found theater, theater actually there are, there aren't real gatekeepers there so if you create a, a work and you can raise the money you got an opportunity to be on broadway i don't have to pass somebody's idea of, of is this worthy is this interesting because you know we let people succeed where there are no gatekeepers who are judging us on their opinion and their taste we're in music where it scans and you actually have scans you have metrics we are number one Number one artist on Spotify is Jay Balvin. He beat Drake. Uh, top 10 hits, you know, Maluma, uh, Bad Bunny. Uh, you know, they're crushing it. Uh, Camille Cabello, Cardi B. In, in sports, where, where we have stats to, to measure, we kill. In, in politics, AOC, where, where we can count the votes, we win. We, you know, we have, we have, we have mayors in, in New Mexico. We have uh, all, all these four women that won in New York City in the midterm elections, Catalina Cruz, Julia Salazar. Uh, I, I can't remember all this, but, but we, we, they want a ton of, because we can measure, but when it's led to somebody's opinion, like an executive, we lose. Because they don't understand our stories. They don't care. And I've been pitching stories for the last 30 years. And I always get things back like, Latin people don't want to see Latin people. And you're like, what? To my face, and I say like, Latin people don't want to with with this movie pitching it to studios. They said to me, Latin people don't want to see they we our our, our metrics show that they don't care about feel good movies. I'm going, what? We just want depressing shit? No, you know, and you know, you just keep going. Wow. How often were? I mean, I guess you just sort of answered it. My next question was like, how often were you in those pitch meetings and just like banging your head against the wall, or they're saying like, you know what? It's a great story, but maybe make it a little less Latin. Make it a little, you know, maybe that guy could be a white guy instead. 
Yeah, you know, they, they weren't saying that. <laughs> they, I think because that would have been too obvious or even right. they would have heard themselves say that out loud. It would have been really wrong. They just said, you know, we love it, but, you know, it's not for us. And that's that's what I got for, for many years. But, you know, I, I persisted. And, and one of the films that I tried to do a long time ago, I'm turning into a, a musical. Doing my, theater was what kept me alive. You know, right. the audience found me. And then there were a lot of white people coming there, too, and black and Latin and Asian. And, and we found each other. And that, that fed me. That fed me a lot because I could get to talk to the audience and go, oh, my God, this is so great to see myself. I can't believe it. You know, and, and their, their sense of pride from it fed me, too, bolstered me. What's this musical you're writing? Tell me about it. Uh, th this one is um, a uh, the conquest. It's about the conquest. It's a, a Aztec conquest, and it's a musical. Mm. It's it's kind of like a Spamalot meets Book of Mormon. You know, mm -hmm. really broad, really hilarious. Great, great music. Great, great songs. Uh, hilarious as hell, and and about conquest and and the and and surviving conquest. What's it called? It's called the this, conquest. This <laughs> my Aztec. <laughs> I'm going to take a quick break, but when we return, Leguizamo recalls seeing Donald Trump making the rounds of New York City nightclubs. What do explorers, an army officer, and a Minnesota insurance salesman have in common? They all wanted to be the first to reach the North Pole, but only one of them made it. I'm Kat Long, science editor at Mental Floss and host of the new podcast, The Quest for the North Pole, which dives into the centuries-long race to explore the Arctic, find the Northwest Passage, and conquer the top of the world. With a cast of daring adventurers and some pretty determined amateurs, the race to the pole reveals the human desire to solve mysteries of geography and the soul. We'll look at the important Arctic expeditions that filled the blank spaces on the map and recognize how indigenous people made them successful. We'll examine what pushed explorers to venture ever farther into the unknown and uncharted, and how the climate crisis is changing the Arctic today. Listen to The Quest for the North Pole every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to The Big Ticket. Here's more of John Leguizamo. When are you going to direct your next feature? What's the next one for you? Oh, I, I don't know. I got, I, I'm doing some offers. I've got some interesting things. Uh, just, I, I just haven't signed on the dotted line, but uh, I, I'm hoping, you know, I'm hoping to direct right again real soon. But also with, this, with critical thinking, you not only directed it, you were in it. Was there a party that said, maybe I shouldn't do both? Or you just couldn't imagine being on the set, not being in the acting of it too? You know, I... I, I you know, yeah, obviously there's always that question mark, uh, you know, can I be in it and direct the movie and be successful at both? Because I found in the past it was kind of too difficult if it was a really demanding role. But in this one I was able to because the character was closer to me and, and it was really well written. Dito Montel is a beast of a storyteller and a writer. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I had a great script to, to lean on and, and I had all the consultants. I had all the real guys on the set the teacher and the and the five chess players and they helped me work the kids through pace their paces uh they made sure that every every chess match was the actual match that they played and they taught it oh, to, wow. the, to the kids so i had a lot of great help so do you know how to play chess you know i thought i i did and then i played <laughs> uh somebody in washington square park and they kicked my ass after the first five moves i was like damn i thought i could play after all that research and study 
You're like, nah. want to play checkers? Want to play checkers? <laughs> I love checkers. The simplicity and stupidness of it is just right up my alley. Um, I want to talk to you about some of your past stuff because I have to tell you Moulin Rouge is my all-time favorite movie. Oh, beautiful, beautiful. You, you know, I brought the musical back. It had been dead since 1972. Grease was the last successful musical yeah. in Hollywood. It. I listen to the music when I'm at the gym. I <laughs> absolutely, I just, every time I think about it, it just blows my mind. It was the first Cannes Film Festival I ever went to. Wow. That's connected to it. Yeah, that's, um, that's, that, you, that was a, and that was one of the biggest can film festival premieres you've ever seen. I mean, Fox put so much money into that. It was incredible. I remember. I remember. Um, what do you remember most about filming Moulin Rouge? It was excruciating. It was really difficult to be. Why was that? Baz was at, at the height of his game and he was very demanding, which was incredibly challenging and beautiful, but exhausting. I mean, mm. we had um, over almost two months rehearsal, you know, before. We started, we would do readings every Friday. The script started around 300 pages. I'm not kidding. So it was like a four hour read. Then they shrunk it down to about 180 or something like that before we started shooting. And we had to learn, you know, how to dance, how to sing, working on the, on the British accent that I had. And, uh, and then the shooting was, was really intense. It was almost eight months. Wow. Longest shoot I've ever been a part wow. of. That's incredible. Let's talk about uh, Spawn, another movie before it's time, huh? Oh, yeah. First black superhero. You know, and again, catching up. You know, you're you're involved with something that the world had to catch up to. Yeah, because, I mean, Todd McFarlane is a beast, man. I love that guy. And uh, Spawn was his creation. This dead man comes back to life, and he's a black superhero. Come back to deal with humanity. And and Todd McFarlane, the comic book industry, believe it or not, was was a dying industry in the 80s. Mm-hmm. And single-handedly, Todd McFarlane brought it back from extinction because he made it edgier. He made it nastier. He put vulgarity. He put sex into it. He put all mm-hmm. the things that were missing in comic books. It was, it was all too clean and too sweet, and nobody was buying it. It was a different time. You know? it, was, it was comic books from a different era. And, and he single-handedly brought it back. And, th- and then I had the chance to be Clown, which was a huge <laughs> deal in the 90s, especially a Latin you- guy. Like, obviously, I was hidden behind... Prosthetic, so you didn't know I was Latin, but you could feel me. <laughs> <laughs> did you did you ever think when you were making that movie, the release of that movie, that one day there would be a Black Panther? A movie just You know, you know, when we were shooting it, I thought, oh my God, this is gonna blow the fuck up. And mm. it kind of did semi semi, you know, a little explosion, a little <laughs> and then uh I, and then I thought, oh what what happened? Did people aren't digging black superheroes? I, I didn't I don't know what happened. But anyway, I'm so glad Black Panther happened because it's, I mean, I, I, I cried in that movie. I don't know. I, I was so moved by I just, just seeing this world. The world was just was so touching to me. Mm. When are we going to see Latinx superhero movie? I'm writing one. Todd McFarlane is, is publishing it for me on Image Comic, which is the third largest comic book after DC and Marvel. And it's called Phenom X and the Uncontrollables. Comes out in October, November. What? So you're doing it. So when's it going to be turned into a movie? Let's hope right <laughs> after it comes out. <laughs> <laughs> what, I've, uh, tried, what ins- I've tried. I've tried. Yeah. What inspired you to do it? So what? What inspired you to do it? Well, obviously the lack of Latinx representation in the superhero world. 
So I, I wanted to create my own superhero from my own standards. And, you know, it's, it's, and it's not an easy paradigm to crack. I mean, comic books is so difficult, man, because almost everything's been done. And how do you reinvent it and make it your own? It's, it's, it's tricky. It's really tricky. It's taken me a couple of years. Tu Wong Fu, what do you remember most? Oh, Tu Wong Fu. Oh, my God. The amount of makeup hours. <laughs> That's the plucking, the the tucking, the the gaffer's tape to make yourself look like you have breastuses. <laughs> it, there was a lot. I mean, all of a sudden, I had mad respect for women because I was like, "Wow, this is this is rough." Do you think if the movie was made today, three straight men would be playing the starring roles? Well, I hope not. <laughs> I mean, I hope we're <laughs> that. I mean, I hope I hope it's time that we can see actual real trans people in real trans roles. I mean, that, I mean, obviously it should be that any actor can play anything, but it's right. not really fair. It doesn't really work that way. You know, like mm. white people should be able to play Latin people, and Latin people should be able to white people, but it doesn't really work that way. It's more usually just white people can play, white males can play anything and everybody else can. <laughs> That's kind of how, how it's been all these decades. But I, mean, I hope a trans women get to play trans, trans women, a transgender people can play transgender people that at least give them those roles right. for now. I mean, Tu Wong Fu, that was, again, I'm going back to like before, you know, the world is catching up. I got more legs than a bucket of chicken. Oh, yeah, you know how. That's the Luke, mama. <laughs> Larissa Tell Dumont me. was my drag queen uh tutor and coach really yeah and she helped me out a lot and i borrowed a lot of lines from her and she gave me the attitude and she gave me the voice you know it was, it was incredible maybe they should do a you know a reboot of tu wong fu and get some real drag queens in there oh imagine that it would put us <laughs> to shame <laughs> um, funny Maybe you, oh you are new york <laughs> you are new york <laughs> um and then the power. When will that even be shot? Well, you know, they started shooting pre-COVID in mm -hmm. January. And then March came and boom, I was supposed to start shooting till August. Shut down. Wow. Then about a, a month ago, I signed a COVID contract, you know, that I would quarantine and that I would leave the set, that I would stay in the hotel, yada, yada, yada. And uh, now they're saying maybe November and they're going to change. My, I was supposed to shoot in Canada. Now I'm going to shoot in London. Right. So you have to go to London and quarantine for two weeks. Yep. And then this test every day and then, you know, wear a mask and then, you know, separate and do all that distance. This is just wild. It's crazy. It's crazy. My, my friend Ethan is shooting in Ireland right now. Ethan Hawke, you know, the, the great actor. Mm -hmm. And he's saying it's so weird. He doesn't even know what his DP really looks like because all he sees is this. <laughs> you know, he doesn't if he, he wouldn't right. recognize him outside of his mask. Well, the other thing is you don't know if your director's happy or not with what you're doing because they're, right, right. they're not <laughs> smiling. <laughs> Can't even understand mask talk. I mean, you have to right. be 40 times. Like, do what do you want to hug for dinner? You want to hug that or the other time? Well, I even like when I'm walking on the street and, you know, you sort of nod to someone. I'm like, why don't they smile? I'm like, I don't know if they smile. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. I got a mask on. Can't really in the eyes this <laughs> No. Oh, man. Mask culture. It's a crazy world. But I'm not a um, mask hole. I wear my mask, you know, mask holes are people who wear their masks like over here or like the nose. underneath the nose. <laughs> and then it's, then it's a matter of, do you t say something to someone? I'm online at the supermarket and they got it under their nose. I'm like, 
the person could be completely I stay, I, 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 stay, I stand further back. That's, that's what that's, I do. That's my protest. How do you think New York is doing in, in all of this? How do you think they did? I mean, you know, we, we were, uh, we had the worst uh, experience at the beginning, you know, because we were the yep. most crowded city and, and uh, my dog is acting up. Don't worry. <laughs> all right. Uh, as long as you don't mind. Uh, nope. Cool, cool. Yeah, so you know, we we experienced the biggest spikes, and and you know, we were we were the first guy, people testing out all these techniques, you know, mm. the distancing, the the sheltering in place, the uh, the intubating, the uh, you know, all that, and uh, obviously, luckily, people learned from us and, and did it better, uh, but we set the standard, and uh, now we're doing great. I mean, less than there was a couple of days with no deaths and and and, oh, and plummeting uh, in, infections. Uh, it's pretty great. I mean. Up here, upstate New York, you can go inside restaurants as long as it's less than than thirty five percent. I think it is. So, when are you going to run for office? I, I, I'm not going to run for office. I I, I want to help lots of people run for office. You know, uh, mm-hmm. I helped Andrew Yang. Then I was Bernie. Now I'm Joe Biden. And uh, uh, my mom helped AOC stomp in Queens. <laughs> so yeah, you know, I, I'm going to continue helping whoever I, I respect and I think is is important. And 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 that's I think my best contribution. And you're hopeful that Joe is going to win. Yeah, you know, I know we got Russia interference, as we saw in that bipartisan Senate uh, investigation. You know, they go, they, they tampered with 2016. They're going to mess with our elections. But I mean, the polls, I think, are true. You know, the polls are true. But, you know, if Russia tricks it up in, in the voting machines and uh, just lets Trump win by a certain number so that they, they don't recount. But not too, not too little. You know, it's just the perfect right. number that Russia can cheat on it and purging voter rolls and all that. I mean, there's so much dastardly work at hand not to let us have a democracy. It's unbelievable because you he must- can't he can't win legitimately. He can't win on, on a normal basis. He has to take away our our our, our uh, mailing boxes, the sorters. They have mm-hmm. to reduce all the voting polls. So people have to stand in line for like three days. But I love what Michelle Obama said about the DNC. Bring a lot, pack a lunch. <laughs> you know, bring a picnic table, bring a bed, a cock. It's going to be a couple of days. <laughs> um, and you must have like run into Donald Trump back in the day. I mean, oh yeah, he was going to all those events, all the pre- I mean, every premiere that he could go to. He was always at the club parties, hanging out in the front. You know, hitting up on every uh, young hottie that walked in. You know. He was always he was always uh, scouting for talent, as they used to say back in the day. Could you ever imagine that the man who was scouting for talent would be would be never because we knew him in New York. We knew he was a clown. That's the thing. Nobody knew about him like New Yorkers did. We knew he was he was fake. He knew we knew he wasn't really wealthy or rich. Who goes on Mm. to do a TV show if you're really a billionaire? You're not going to be working for minimum wage, basically. You know, (laughs) who does that if you're really rich? You know, we we knew the real deal. But the rest of America believed that TV show and they believed that he was filthy rich and he wasn't. That's it for today's Big Ticket. Coming up next week, I've got Selena Gomez. We're chatting about her new song with K-pop band Blackpink, filming her new HBO Max cooking show in quarantine, and so much more. Until then, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Mark Malkin. And for all your up-to-the-minute Hollywood news, head over to Variety.com. Stay safe, be well, and please keep wearing those masks. See you next week.
is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.